my father and my stepmother succeeded mm. in getting my sister and I to turn on our mother. And mm. so they actually, they got custody of us when, when we were four. They kidnapped us for a weekend, but ended up getting custody of us. Wow. And, and then there was a brutal battle that ensued for years. And when, when I was 10, m my father and stepmother sat me down and my stepmother said, you know, you were too young to understand this before. But actually all the trouble you've been having in school, she said, all of that was actually not your fault because it's your mother and your mother is evil. I think what happens when you summons your courage is that we're not just dealing with a conscious level of process here. We're dealing with a, a very subconscious, immediate, it's like a knee-jerk reaction. But if you focus on cultivating the courage to, to approach your heart and to approach your feelings, it's like you get in a heightened state of strength. Welcome back to Empath of the Narcissist podcast, where we explore all of the spiritual ways to heal from narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, and today we are blessed with our extraordinary guest, Simon Tim. He is a seasoned meditation and mindfulness teacher whose journey into the realms of self-discovery has been nothing short of remarkable. Simon dedicated an incredible 16 years of his life as a Hindu monk, immersing himself in the ancient practices of meditation and spiritual discipline. However, when he had his existential crisis and he decided to transition away from the monastic life in 2011, Simon found himself facing a new set of challenges, his biggest challenges of yet. And yes, he did have a narcissistic stepmother through his childhood. But this one, recognizing the need for meditation practice that goes beyond simply transcending or rising above the negative feelings and shoving them down under the rug, Simon embarked on a profound exploration of various modalities of personal transformation. His journey led him to create the self-salutation it's a unique approach to meditation that aims to address and resolve the complexities of our inner world. And also he has a master's in ethics from Yale. Simon brings both scholarly wisdom and practical wisdom to the table. So I'm really excited for you to meet him. So get ready for this enlightening conversation as we delve into Simon's unique perspective on being a narcissistic abuse victim, meditation, mindfulness, and transformative power of self-salutation. This is definitely a conversation you won't want to miss, so make sure you have your headphones in, you hit that subscribe button, and you share this with a friend. Let's get into it. Welcome, Simon. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much, Raven. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you. I love what you're doing. So, so it's great to be here. Thank I you. appreciate that. I appreciate you listening and really uh, investing in that as well and understanding the audience because I think you're going to bring so much love and you're going to bring so much 
I think just good nuggets for them. So I'm excited to dive into this with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I grew up, my stepmother was a serious narcissist. And so I grew up really under the thumb of a narcissist. And it's something that I have a lot of experience with and a lot of, mm. you know, empathy for others who are who are going through it. So yeah, well, let's start with that. Tell me more about that. How old were you when she was introduced into your life? I was two or three when when my father connected my parents divorced when I was like six months old and my father connected with my stepmother very early on and so from really from the time I can remember she was in my life I actually do remember the the moment I met her at first and I remember resisting her profoundly from that from that very first encounter which is maybe not uncommon for you know, kids of with a divorced parent, but but I remember that, and and it was always a struggle with her. She passed on a couple of years ago now, but it was it was profound psychological abuse that I endured there for sure. Mm. So was she the kind of person that had like certain expectations? You had to meet them and like you were like an extension of her. What kind of stepmother narc was she? <laughs> yeah, she was. Yeah, she had impossible expectations. She was she she had a the irony of my childhood is that she had a Ph.D. in child psychology from wow. Harvard University. Wow. So she was the authority and when she spoke she always let me know that it was her clinical <laughs> yeah like you better do it this yeah. way or like she knew how to parent you because she was the expert yeah and i literally i mean it, it was an attempt at creating an endearing term but i i called her doc mm. that was our name for her so oh wow like the fact that she was a doctor had a doctorate she wielded that profoundly mm. and she had uh, a constant she had incredibly high expectations and they were constantly changing when she really went under like I think when I was around 10 she had a, a nervous breakdown she didn't get tenure in her position and she was flailing professionally and my dad was an artist and wasn't supporting us so she really caved during that time and those are the most those are the darkest years where where i was just really under her thumb and she had expectations and those expectations were just unmeetable it wasn't even possible because they changed all the time yeah. and uh you know i like the place was supposed to be clean. I had to clean. My sister and I were cleaning. We could, there was not possible for us to clean the house in a way that satisfied her expectations because yeah. no matter what we did, there was some rule that she had established that was, uh, and she didn't, didn't communicate didn't it probably. She yeah. communicated it <laughs> yeah. or it was, yeah. The target's and always moving. The target was moving. The target uh, was us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you thought the target was, I was the target. Yeah. Didn't realize that you had the target on your back. I was the target. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and how did and your mother. She was profoundly controlling and, and yeah. oversaw everything in powerful ways. And 
Mm-hmm. And she was the breadwinner. So then she kind of like your, your dad kind of gave her that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and my dad needed her in those ways. So mm-hmm. he was, you know, caved to her and he was gone a lot of the time. My dad was in the theater and so he was gone at nights. So we were home alone with her and it was, yeah, yeah it was rough. I, 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 de- I think she was maybe borderline alcoholic, but she was the kind of alcoholic where like when she finally made a martini or poured herself a scotch, then I relaxed because that's when I knew like she was, she, the pressure would be off a little bit. So mm. that, that yeah. I know some kids with their parents, alcohol is very different and, and right. that's a bad time. But for me, that was when I knew like, okay, she's going to tone it down a little bit. Things are going to get easier now. That so. relaxed her neuroses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And you were with her most of the time or where was your mother in the picture? Does she? Well, so she and uh, I underwent a a trauma called severe parental alienation as a child. So I think in a lot of divorcees, a lot of divorced couples, they'll try and get their kid to turn on the the other parent. Right. Yeah. My father and my stepmother succeeded mm. in getting my sister and I to turn on our mother. And oh. so they actually they got custody of us when when we were four. They kidnapped us for a weekend, but ended up getting custody of us. Wow. And and then there was a brutal battle that ensued for years. And when we were 10 when I was 10 my sister is a little older than me she was 13 when I was 10 my father and stepmother sat me down and my stepmother said you know you were too young to understand this before but actually all the trouble you've been having in school I was in trouble all the time when I was a kid I was like getting in fights and you know doing crazy things and (laughs) yeah so she said all of I was at nightmares. She said all of actually anyway, she said all of that was actually not your fault because it's your mother. And your mother is evil mm-hmm. and she's trying to manipulate and control you. And Therefore, we want to move you across the country. And so we moved from Boston, Massachusetts, where I was born, to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm. And I don't, you couldn't get away with it today, but they just took us away. And we said, oh, we're just, we just want to spend the summer with my dad and stepmom. We don't want to do split custody for the summer. We'll start up again in the fall. But in the fall, she went and knocked on the door, called the phone and, you know, we were gone. You guys were gone. Oh my gosh. So we severed oh, ties with heartbreaking. her. It's heartbreaking. You, yeah. Did yeah. you meet and back up with her? Actually, she came out to Wisconsin. She tracked us down. She was able to track us down. She came out to Wisconsin. And I, we met her in a park and and told her to never contact us ever again. Mm. And, And so I have 
you know, etched in my heart is this memory of watching her walk away from us in the park, just a shattered, broken person. Yeah. And it took, it, you know, it, of course, it took a lot of therapy to get to the point when I was 20, I reconnected with, with my, with my, with my real mother and underwent a lot of therapy, a lot of counseling and it took a long time to be able to, you know, even recognize or to speak of heal, start to heal those wounds. And then it wasn't until I, I was in my 40s when I realized the inner damage that turning on my mother had for me and, and realizing that as a 10-year-old, I didn't just process it that my mother was evil because who am I? I I'm my mother's son. And therefore mm. I internalized this sense of my own self really also as being evil. And, mm. and, and sort of the, the, the moment of, of real pain there is that moment of, you know, how I just turned on my mother and seeing her, you know, as a really defeated person walking away in the park. So, yeah. so I've had to do a lot of healing around, around all of that was profoundly depressed as a college student. By the time I got to college, I was profoundly depressed hmm. and I, I went to a therapist and it was a priest. I went to him for counseling. And after a few sessions, he said, well, tell me something about your mom. You never mention your mom. And I said, ah, I haven't, you know, talked to my mom for 10 years, really, but, but it's not a big deal. I'm over it. And he's like, uh-huh, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And he said, he said, oh, really? And the way he said it, it just kind of like hooked in my mind. And I was like, he didn't believe me. I was like, <laughs> I was so frustrated. I was like, why didn't he believe me? He should believe me. They did this kind of weird logic in my mind. Like he's a priest. He should believe me. Like somehow, you know. Right. <laughs> you were telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he helped me reconnect with her and, mm. and 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 changed my life and it was the most courageous thing that i yet today i still just remember just that tremendous fear i had and in, in actually reconnecting with her and and finding out and mm. she was she was not evil she is not evil yeah <laughs> In fact, she became a therapist. She had to undergo all kinds of therapy herself, and that prompted her to become a therapist. And yeah, she's been very helpful and wonderful in my life. So, so there was a happy ending. To That's that. amazing, a happy ending. But all through yeah. this, I have two things running through my mind. I'm like, okay, so you went to college and you got your. Was it master's in? Well, I, I, I did my undergraduate. I did my master's in my four, you know, just 10 years ago. So, yeah, I did a master's okay. in ethics 10 years in ago. ethics, right? Yeah. And then you also, we have to address the whole, you know, white elephant in the room. You also are a Hindu monk. Like, when did you transition <laughs> into that? 
Well, after college. Mm -hmm. So in college, as I mentioned, I was profoundly depressed. And I went through therapy. I came to a point of, of therapy where I felt like I lifted my head out of the the Quick need sand? to be like totally immersed in in yeah. yeah in the therapeutic process and the healing okay. process and I could like see the world around me and and everything but I wasn't able I was on medication I was on Prozac at the time I was on lithium and Prozac for a period of time mm. and I wasn't able to get off medication and I would try to get off it and, and lapse in a way. And, and that prompted a, a kind of an existential crisis of a different sort where it's like every day I was taking, you know, when I would take my medication, just wondered like, like, so is this the rest of my life? And why is it that I, I, I can't live with myself. How is it that I can't just live with myself? Mm -hmm. And ultimately that was the seed of what became a real spiritual journey. And I, I went on a quest to find other ways of addressing the mental anguish that I, that I was going through. And, and that led me to, an ashram in California and and as many spiritual quests end up, I don't know, in, in, <laughs> end up in ashrams. You know, in an ashram. It just makes, <laughs> makes total sense. <laughs> so, yeah, so I encountered and, and I really experienced meditation as helping me in, in a profound way, just helping me to be with myself, to sit with myself, to experience life and shift my my mentality in profound ways so so i got very immersed in and lived as a monk for 16 years mm. yeah i didn't expect that when i moved in i just thought oh try it out and <laughs> but i loved it and <laughs> and loved the life and and it was quite good to me in in many many ways until i i came to a point where I uncovered what I sometimes call as like the trade secret of, of meditators, like trade secret in, in the sense of like this, the secret that people who meditate know, but don't want other people to know about, which okay. is that, which is that meditation can, can be wonderful and helpful. And I love meditation and teach meditation. And I spend a lot of time meditating. Mm -hmm. But meditation can also be a way of escaping. Yeah. And, yeah. And so I, what I uncovered was that, like the point that I had shared just earlier about how, oh, wow, when I embraced this idea that my mother was evil, how that also impacted my own view and feelings about myself that was just totally repressed that was that was way below the surface 
Yeah. And so we can use meditation as a way even or even just in daily that's a very deep example but just in daily exchanges with people meditation can be a way where oh i can lift myself up now to this place and find a little peace and then come back to the world and even though things are a bit of a mess in my life just kind of not really deal with it and go on with it because I'm okay because I'm able to lift up to this little place now and then so it's like a a, a bit like a drug I mean it's way better yeah. than but for you but right. <laughs> but but it's a bit it can be a escapism like that and mm -hmm. so I in the end ha had to confront the reality that oh, there's a lot of stuff still in my heart and the mm -hmm. You know, a, a few years of therapy, unfortunately, in your 20s is just, is not enough to resolve systemic, profound childhood trauma. Yeah. And, and, and so I had to come back and revisit those things and reprocess those things and, and reapproach my, my own way of being in the world in, in a new way. And did you find yourself diving into like somatic is a real hot topic now, but essentially it's like processing trauma through your body versus trying to escape it through your head. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I yeah. did. I, I very much did that. And so I participated in and still, still do practice called core energetics. I'm not sure if that's a, a modality okay. that you're familiar with, No. but it's a somatic therapy and it's a way of you know moving your body so that you can release the the feelings that are that are that are buried there it's incredibly helpful and i also developed a form of meditation which is what i now teach called the self salutation and it's a essentially what what i learned as i was going through the different modalities of transformation and taking seminars and going to retreats and doing all kinds of, of, of different trainings and trying to understand myself. I studied psychology for a year at uh, Pacifica Graduate Institute, which is a depth psychology counseling program, mm -hmm. like a Jungian psychology okay. program. So what I fundamentally came to after a lot of probing in this, in this realm of personal transformation was that actually the secret to transformation was not necessarily changing myself as much as changing my relationship with myself in wow. fundamental ways that's profound yeah yeah and, and that little shift kind of stepping back in a in a, in a sense and and really looking at that is the essence of the self-salutation and the practice that i teach now and there's two components to it there's two core components to it mm -hmm. that are sort of like seem at least initially to be in tension with each other they feel like fundamental opposites but they're not 
ultimately, I think they're it's a paradoxical relationship. They're really in harmony with each other. But the the first thing is we need to learn how to love and accept ourselves in profound ways, in ways that pretty much all the ways that we're hard on ourselves, like all mm -hmm. those places we think that we need to be hard on ourselves, or the problem is I'm not hard enough on myself. Like all of those ways, we actually, this, the solution is to unplug that inner critic or really inner judge and, and learn to shower ourselves with profound love and acceptance. Where and, do you think that comes from? Like that self-critic, the inner critic, because we seem to all have it and it seems to be like huge in all of us when we like really have yeah. raw moments with each other and admit it. <laughs> yeah. Always yeah. feeling like an imposter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess my understanding of the inner critic is that it's, we internalize the worst of our parents. Mm -hmm. We internalize their judgments of us in, in their worst format. And it's so threatening for children. You know, mm -hmm. when, when, when we experience that from, from parents, but what if you had like a super loving parent who only showered on praise? Cause I have experiences where I would, mm -hmm. I wouldn't believe him. I'd be like, yeah, he's mm -hmm. just saying that because you're my dad. And now it's <laughs> crazy. Like, I feel like Pete and repeat. I'm like feeling the same thing with my, my youngest. I'm like, I, I didn't, I'm, I'm, a, I'm praising you. She's like, ah, oh, you know, she gets all negative. I'm like, okay, what's happening here? There's another pattern. We got to break something right. here. <laughs> but it seems like it just kind of sometimes for some people, it appears out of nowhere. Like it's internal. Yeah. 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 Well, you know. <laughs> I think maybe you're right. Ultimately, probably there is some part of it where uh, it, that I guess that gets into a deeper kind of existential question about about these things. But I I I would say ultimately, yeah, we all come into this world with certain lessons that we have to learn and certain thing ways that we have to grow and so are in mm, one sense so it's kind of written in the stars <laughs> yeah it's kind of written in the stars and our our parents externalize it in a way but it, it the interesting thing about it just in a so you know that i'm i'm sure that in relationships we'll kind of see the shadow of our parents and mm -hmm. and the we respond to the shadow of our parents it's in, like you maybe especially with your intimate partner my intimate part my spouse is really nothing like my stepmother in any way she's the most loving kind you know she has none of that yeah but th there's like sometimes like a little shadow of perfectionism or something like that that mimics what my stepmother had and that terrifies me in a profound way when it shouldn't. I have nothing to fear with my spouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but I'm not responding so much to my spouse as I'm responding to my stepmother. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so I think that ultimately there's a way in which 
our parents are just doing that on a higher same thing on a higher level and we're in, in internalize they kind of externalize something and it's not even really them it's actually just kind of coming through them in the same in the same way Mm -hmm. that makes sense I don't know Yeah. And sometimes I'm thinking through, it's also not what they say, it's what they do. And it's like how they act when they don't realize they're doing something. yeah Because that's how we learn as children is through example. And then we pick up on that and we do that. You that's know? true that's true yeah and sometimes maybe they're withholding a judgment that they have and and we know that they have it and they don't Yeah, we can energetically you know feel the judgment. we can feel like there's something there <laughs> and kids of course are phenomenally yeah. perceptive so Very perceptive and intuitive. Yes. yeah yeah But I, yeah, you're right about that. Uh, we do attract, there's so many different guests that have been on talking about that. We attract that trauma wound that we're trying to heal subconsciously Yeah. without knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm And, hmm and that is exactly what I think is happening is that ultimately we're trying to heal from it. And we, it's a compuls com kind of compulsion to like draw that scenario again. And sometimes win kind of like win out this time. over control <laughs> it right yeah i love yeah. how you said that win out Yeah. and that's not the goal is to fix them or win out Yeah, yeah, it's like almost yeah. recognize it process it and then let it go Yeah, yeah. so there's so much That... talk about the self-love i think you're talking about the self-love like Yes. self-love self-care we see it all over on social media everywhere Yeah. but what is the real true nature like of certain practices because I know there's a variety That's, of practices but yeah, that's such a great... That's such a great question. And it's so true that, and I'm happy that it's out there and that it's permeating culture in a way, this idea, because it's, because it's so valuable. I was totally opposed to it forever. I was like, oh, get me away from this. Like, uh, I was thought it was, I don't know. I don't know what I was, I was afraid that a little self-love was going to ruin me somehow. I don't You'd become entitled know. <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Like somehow it's gonna, I don't Too know. soft. Because especially with men, right? Self-love, self-care <laughs> is like, oh, I'm not going to be a pussy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we have, our culture valorizes perfectionism so much. I mean, And fighting I swear and to conquering, God. right? And especially Yeah. America. Especially America. I tell you, We I, have that I swear Mars to you, the in our. first, yeah, yeah. The first time I was in I was in a therapy session and my therapist said, I think you're a little hard. You're really too hard on yourself. I, I swear I was flattered. I was like, oh. <laughs> Thank you. I've accomplished you really, so much in oh. America. I'm all grown up. <laughs> no one would ever notice. That's funny. So, so it's a, it's a, it's a point of pride that we have in our culture, really pushing ourselves to that extreme. So it's great that, that there's so much that's out there now. I think what's important about the idea of self-love or self-acceptance as, as I teach it, and which I see as not always represented out there is 
first of all, that it's a practice. It's not like a one-time event. It's not like a thing that you do in an exercise and then you've done it and now you're there. It's not, it's definitely not an intellectual experience, like mm. an intellectual exercise. You can say, okay, I love myself. I, you know, it's not theoretical like that. Love is a felt experience. It's a felt experience. It's so I would say it's learning how to go into your heart of hearts and share that same, generate that same feeling that you have when you're holding a beloved and, and communicating love and that warm embrace. Mm. Just sharing that same feeling with yourself, showering that onto yourself. And I think that that feeling is takes a while to, to figure out how to reach in there and how to do that in your own heart with yourself. But a great starting point for that is acceptance. Mm. It's a little more easy to grasp and get a hold of learning to go into your heart and just accept yourself with all of your things, ways that you need to learn and grow, all of the foibles and flaws, all of the challenges that you have, learning to just take a few moments in a day and, and let yourself know that it's okay. You're okay. You are fine just the way you are, where you are right now. Yes, you're not everywhere you want to be. Yes, you're not everything you want to be or think you should be but it's okay you're okay just the way you are right here right now you made it this far and 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 you're okay and you're gonna be okay mm -hmm. learning to really fill your heart with those kinds of feelings is a great entry point into that experience of mm -hmm. self-love and it sounds a lot about the, the other topic or concept a lot of people talk about is reparenting yourself. Like, would you, as a soft empath, I'm sure you wouldn't, yell at your child because they spilled milk or they just made a mistake? Like, you're going right. to be like, oh, it's okay. And then you help clean them up. Like, but we don't do that for ourselves. We're like, oh my gosh, what an idiot. Can't believe I just did that. And you just talk so mean so to true. yourself when are you gonna get it together why yeah. do you keep doing that What's versus like with you? it's okay yeah. yeah and especially when you've realized that you're in a relationship with the wrong person who is being horribly mean to you and you now maybe you're stuck because you don't have enough income like then you really beat yourself mm -hmm. up yeah and that's the last that's the last thing that you need to do you need to reassure yourself so that you can rise up out of that exactly exactly 100 mm. you that. need to you need to shower yourself with a huge amount of acceptance and love and understanding and recognition that you're there are reasons that you can change for where you are but the first thing that you need to do it's just accept yourself and accept that this is where where you are and that you're going to get there. It's okay. 
That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm. So I, I, so that's the one part and yeah, it is reparenting. It's, it's being your own therapist in a way, learning to give itself therapy, self-healing. Um, and the other side to it, which may seem paradoxical is essentially learning how to confront yourself in a new way. Mm. Learning how to be honest with yourself in a new way. And, and, and I stress a new way because, because our genuine or our general way of confronting ourselves is, is with the beatings. Like the beatings will continue until the, you know, morale improves, like you were just (laughs) sharing. So it's not like that at all, but it's finding the courage to, to feel the feelings that are in your heart and to see whatever needs to be seen within your heart. And this is, I think, the essence of integration psychological integration learn learning how to to no longer suppress and repress your emotions and there are sort of two layers to this one is what i think is like emotions that are in the subconscious just like lightly shoved down which is the kinds of emotions that we might have like anger in a relationship and we're in denial about it you see that every time someone's in an argument you're like well why are you angry at me i'm not angry (laughs) (laughs) super common thing like we yeah we we don't like to admit anger or or frustration or a lot of emotions that we have reminds me a lot of that circle i remember a therapist telling me like hate is like in the same location as love like it's just a circle Mm. they're not opposites they're actually right there like that intense emotion if you hate someone you also love them because if you hate them enough that means that you care enough and then you love them that much Uh, yeah yeah yeah. wow she was yes and and but it's it's buried and sometimes it needs excavating in order to in order to get there it needs excavating and so there's it's a hard work that excavation and coming to it's a huge challenge it's way more deep of a challenge than it might sound or than we could i would ever have thought when i initially entered on this path mm-hmm. just to feel what you what the feelings are that are in your heart and and allow them to have a moment of expression and and recognition. And so this is really the second thing is is the courage, cultivating that courage. And I I focus on courage because ultimately the reason we repress the fear and the anger and the hurt and those things is out of fear. We have a fear of them. And we have a fear of them because we've never learned how to 
manage them, how to process them, how to deal with them. And they're, they are frightening. They can be very overwhelming and they can have implications on our life that we don't know what they are, or what they'll be. And so we have a lot of good reason to, to have fear around the feelings that are there in our heart. But the problem is that if they're in your heart, they're there. They're already there. They're in your heart. And the only way to move beyond them is, is to allow them to surface, to give them their moment. And the courage is a powerful focus because I think what happens when you summons your courage is that we're not just dealing with a conscious level of process here. We're dealing with a, a very subconscious, immediate, it's like a knee-jerk reaction. It's like something that happens in a blink of an eye, you know, and you can't control it consciously because it's a, it's this mechanism that's in place. It's like a hardwiring to repress our feelings. And so, but if you focus, if you focus on cultivating the courage to, to approach your heart and to approach your feelings, it's like you get in a heightened state of strength. And when you get in that heightened state of strength, it cues your subconscious that, okay, hey, like Simon's ready to, to, to experience this and the guard, the guard goes down a little bit. And then you can hear a soft voice in your heart that's like, I'm angry. And 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 a lot, and the more you focus on this, focus on it, then the more it grows and the more you can start to to see what's really going on. Mm. That is powerful. I kept thinking the only way through how do, I forget how the, the saying says the, the only way to essentially heal it is to feel it or like there's some there's another mm. phrase that rhymes about going through it like you have to go through it the only way out is through or yeah maybe yeah. that's the phrase yeah i thought yeah. that one rhymed but i guess not yeah the only yeah. way out is through and I that's, think that's true exactly true because i think that's if exactly everything's true. hidden and everything's unspoken or you're just always covering it up with anger mm. i mean i feel like that's that's a bit of the problem with the narcissist too you know sure because like you said you're just like we've all experienced with the narcissist we've seen when they are losing it like we've seen their weakest moment and we're like mm -hmm. oh my gosh this is the real problem but mm -hmm. then all of a sudden they'll put the mask back on and be like oh no everything's fine and like they'll just go on with their song and dance again mm -hmm. right they didn't actually feel through it they had the moment to show us but then Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, also they didn't know what to do with that. So they just did what they always do and they put the mask on, which we can do too. We put on our victim hat on, we put on our like, oh, well, I don't, it's hopeless. I don't know what else to do. Whatever our role is in our emotional tool bag that's been shown us and mm -hmm. that's what we do. So it is very courageous to feel through that and be able to transmute it into it's something Exactly new. right. That's exactly right. Yeah, it takes it takes the most tremendous courage. And I think you're 100% onto mm -hmm. it that at the core of it, that's that's the problem with the narcissist. 
and I know there's I've seen so many movies also this is in in at the core of addiction in a way mm -hmm. right because addiction is covering right yeah 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 and you see that like I remember the this movie Papa which is about Ernest Hemingway mm -hmm. who was you know this courageous war veteran who wrote these novels that just thought of being this heroic courageous figure but he was also an alcoholic mm. papa did this great job of showing how you know despite having all this external courage what was really going on was he was just cowering in fear of these feelings that he had in his heart and that that's what drove him to to drinking yeah so yeah, I think I think there's a a way in which the the fear of the things that are in our heart is is the ultimate driver of dysfunction in so many ways. And and just to circle around to one other thing since I mentioned it briefly I talked about the subconscious realm and then but I also wanted to mention there's an unconscious realm of of feelings and so the unconscious realm is like the realm that I mentioned before like the deeply repressed realm when I talked about feelings that I had I suppressed as a child about how I could be evil not just my mm. mom was but maybe I'm that's that's this like profound fear of of who I am in my ultimate state. Yeah. And so we we have to learn to, you know, delve through both of those, the, the subconscious realm and the unconscious realm and 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 heal all of the, mm. uh those feelings that that we're we're carrying around in our heart. And and that is the the path of the self-salutation that that I that I teach. So it's those two meditations the the self-acceptance and the the courage of of self-confrontation yeah having having the courage of self-honesty self-honesty yeah. i think is really what's helped me change or heal mm -hmm. i would have to say even the way that i parent my husband's really good at like just asking super honest you're not gonna like this but what if it's this and I'm like, ooh, I don't like it. But I guess I'll evaluate that. <laughs> and without him, I probably would never consider it because I don't want to believe that, right? That's really hard yeah. on your own. So it does take somebody or something, some container, I would think, to help facilitate that because we're not going to just voluntarily or even know that it's under there yeah. to do that on our own. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough it's a we we all have, just have a huge amount of resistance towards it we have a huge amount of resistance towards it but that's why i think that so i developed honestly i developed the self salutation as a practice for myself first and mm -hmm. foremost and i for many years i i still do it most days but for many years i just was really really rigorous and and disciplined about it just because i realized like i gotta get ahead of this problem <laughs> and and the unwinding of this entire system is something that we have to be really proactive about because i 
I watched my life just totally fall apart when I was 40. When I left the monastic life, I didn't, it wasn't pretty. Like it was, it was, it was not the way I wanted things to end. And when my life fell apart in such a profound way at that time, I, I had to determine like, okay, like, whatever I need to do, I need to really do it because I don't want to go through that again, yeah. you know? And, and it was like, the problem was that it was years and years of just putting things under the rug, putting things under the rug, putting things under the rug, throwing things down into the basement and, mm -hmm. and, and then kind of meditating above it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. like, I'll put that mess down here and let me just yeah. levitate up here. Oh, no problem. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I'm not going to deal with it. Yeah. You know? And then, then one day oh. they, they crept up and they, you couldn't hide it was that a anymore from your conscience. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It was a cascading event. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had the ultimate kind of escape like, ah, those are my parents from this lifetime. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> yes, right. I have experienced that too, as like I've heard, and who knows? Like I, I believe it, but I don't. But it's like, but this is my reality now on Earth. It's like I've had an Akashic reading, and I, I love her yeah. dearly. I love it. It was really profound for me at the moment. But it yeah. is like that contract is over. You're strangers in the you know soul world, and so that yeah. kind of makes your mind go. Like, and it kind of gives you an excuse, like, yeah, oh, well, I don't I have to like, talk to them now. Totally separate <laughs> from this entirely. Yeah, which takes away, takes away responsibility of maybe your life lesson here on earth. We're just, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just, we're just like, here's a great example that was, you know, that, that I used to teach. And we used, we're just like, you know, driftwood floating in a down a river sometimes it combines with other driftwood and then you know it separates and that's mm. you know that's our relationships here on this on this world and so know, many explanations an, to skirt our responsibilities <laughs> i guess <laughs> yeah i mean you know i don't know from oh. an ultimate like cos cosmological perspective like from the spectrum perspective of eternity there may be some truth to that i guess but really like the reality is yeah. still you need yeah. to deal with the relationship that you have with your <laughs> right i know that's I, i'm so earth grounded like i'm so spiritualistic like yes totally believe in reincarnation all the lies all the stuff but what about right now right like exactly. that will be will be like we'll figure it out once we leave this body but what are we yeah. going to do right now here in yeah, this we... life Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that's what keeps pulling me to be more responsible with how I'm, you know, repairing those relationships or even trying and, and all the things. I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah, exactly. And what's the meaning of these relationships if it's not to bring us to the point of that reconciliation, yeah. healing? So, so. yeah. Yeah, I think that's so uh, you you develop these for cool. yourself out of the pain of that kind of existential crisis out of the the monastic service. Yeah, there. I did. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, the existential crisis that happened when I when I mean the 
the my when my monastic life imploded and i realized like okay i need i need to face a different reality here and mm -hmm. try and then realized all the ways that i had essentially entered a religious institution i i entered hinduism because i i thought like ah, I, I need a, a spiritual path where i can not end up in a as a religious institutional figure but be be on a spiritual journey but yeah. i ended up in many ways realizing that i had become kind of crusty as a as a monk and as a religious figure i mean it's easy to do people project all kinds of things on monks because it mm -hmm. seems impossible to people to imagine like being a monk and therefore they they i think started to treat me very differently especially after i've been a monk for like eight or ten years people kind of <clears throat> yeah have a you know, a, a sense of respect towards me that is easy to hide behind then and not to worry about. And so, so when I left the the trappings of that life and entered the the wilds, I the wilds, the great unknown of that. Yeah, yeah. No, it was like it was kind of like going from being in an nursery setting for a, like a plant and then just yeah. being planted in the in the it's wild true. and so when that happened then there was so much work that I had to do that that this speak this practice became a, a refuge for me and the more that I studied mm -hmm. in different ways of personal transformation and healing the the, the more the practice developed and solidified into in, in, into what it is and i also so so i mentioned the core process of you know the meditation doing the the two meditations that i that i mentioned i i named my meditations after animals also so so oh, cool. i do yeah so so the self acceptance is named after the moose which Native Americans say embodies self-acceptance. Where can we access all of these? Well, my website, selfsalutation.com is great. I have a free newsletter in that I share once a week. I, I send out an email which discusses one component or another of the self-salutation. And there's, there's also a component to it which I talk about which is really nice. I love the point you said earlier about hiding behind anger. Mm. How we often use anger to hide uh, other deeper feelings, like the feeling of being hurt by someone. Yeah. I think a lot of anger is really just an expression of a feeling of being hurt and of vulner. There's something very vulnerable underneath it. Yeah. You know, when someone's angry at you, they deeply care versus they hate you and they want you to go away. But that takes that mindset of uh, emotional maturity, like, oh, okay, I'm going to put my ego in the back burner and I'm still going to go and find out why they're angry because there's something deeper there. That's so wise yeah. and so true. 
That's so true. I hope that helps me with my daughters. That's all I'm saying. They're teenage <laughs> years. I just hope that gets me through teenage years. <laughs> the last yeah. point that I wanted to share about this process, which I think is really important, is that I th think our whole way of talking about emotions is very limited because we just have one term that encompasses them all, emotions. Or we might divide them into two, which is to say good emotions and bad emotions, right. good feelings and bad feelings. And whereas I think the reality is there are there's a lot of more nuance to it, and especially what I want to point out is that some emotions are really just masks for other deeper emotions, like the anger that you pointed to. Mm -hmm. And so I think real emotional intelligence is starting to learn when an emotion that you're experiencing is actually not Im as important as it might feel on its own right so when you feel anger it, it may feel very important and very true and very like like riveting like this is the problem when in reality th that's not the issue at all there's something deeper that you can that that you can glean from it and and if you can take a little time to process through that preliminary emotion that you're feeling to get to the the deeper reality of what's going on in your heart and so i mm -hmm. call the surface emotions syndromes i have a number of syndromes that i talk about because a lot of times we don't even feel them as emotions they're more like th ways of thinking and you know we might feel because we, we kind of tend to deny emotions also so so the process that I teach is about learning how to recognize, oh, I'm I'm in a sin, I'm stuck in a syndrome. And and if I want to resolve it, it's not going to resolve on I'm not going to get through it by trying to take it at its face value, like mm -hmm. that this is the problem. I'm going to have to pry beneath the surface of this syndrome and uncover what the core emotion is that's underneath it that I need to handle. And in this way, you can really disengage a lot of emotions that bother us throughout the day. You can unplug them very quickly and get at the heart of what's really going on in your heart and enjoy a lot more happiness in your day to day. So yeah, just... it really sounds like something that can benefit all the empaths who are just struggling with like so much brain fog and heartache and confusion and trying to heal. It sounds like a very grounding practice that I look forward to doing as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you for your work. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Yeah. And you can find the link to selfsalutation.com in the show notes. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Raven. I appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in to the end of this podcast episode and being an empath member here in the community. Don't forget to grab your free somatic healing workshop 
and or human design chart report in the show notes. I need your help. Please rate and review my newest book, Empath's Guide to Rising Strong, a human design guidebook. You can grab a free Kindle Unlimited copy to read and review or grab a beautiful paperback copy on Amazon. Be sure to listen to the Empath and Narcissist Audible book if you haven't already, or you can grab your paperback on Amazon. It is a profound exploration of my journey in healing, providing you with tools for healing as well. All the links are in the show notes.